Well, we're going to continue in Little House in the Big Woods. And this is Mimi here to read to you. I'm glad you're here to listen with me. We're going to be on Chapter 5 today, Sundays. Now, the winter seemed long. Laura and Mary began to be tired of staying always in the house. Especially on Sundays, the time went so slowly. Every Sunday, Mary and Laura were dressed from the skin out in their best clothes with fresh ribbons in their hair. They were very clean because they had their baths on Saturday night. In the summer, they were bathed in water from the spring, but in the winter time, Pa filled and heaped the wash tub with clean snow and on the cook stove it melted to water. Then close by the warm stove, behind a screen made of a blanket over two chairs, Ma bathed Laura and then she bathed Mary. Laura was bathed first because she was littler than Mary. She had to go to bed early on Saturday nights with Charlotte because after she was bathed and put into her clean nightgown, Pa must empty the wash tub and fill it with snow again for Mary's bath. Then after Mary came to bed, Ma had her bath behind the blanket and then Pa had his and they were all clean for Sunday. On Sundays, Mary and Laura must not run or shout or be noisy in their play. Mary could sew on her nine patch quilt and Laura could and Laura could not knit on the tiny mitten she was making for baby Carrie. They might look quietly at their paper dolls, but they must not make anything new for them. They were not allowed to sew on doll clothes, not even with pins. They must sit quietly and listen while Ma read Bible stories to them or stories about lions and tigers and white bears from Pa's big green book, The Wonders of the Animal World. They might look at pictures and they might hold their rag dolls nicely and talk to them, but there was nothing else they could do. Laura liked best to look at the pictures in the big Bible with its paper covers. Best of all was the picture of Adam naming all the animals. Adam sat on a rock and all the animals and birds, big and little, were gathered around him, anxiously waiting to be told what kind of animals they were. Adam looked so comfortable. He did not have to be careful to keep his clothes clean because he had no clothes on. He wore only a skin around his middle. Did Adam have good clothes to wear on Sundays? Laura asked Ma. No, Ma said. Poor Adam. All he had to wear was skins. Laura did not pity Adam. She wished she had nothing to wear but skins. On Sunday after supper, she could not bear it. One Sunday after supper, she could not bear it any longer. She began to play with Jack, and in a few minutes she was running and shouting. Pa told her to sit in a chair and be quiet, but when Laura sat down, she began to kick and cry and kicked the chair with her heels. I hate Sunday, she said. Pa put down his book slowly. Laura, he said sternly, come here. Her feet dragged as she went because she knew she deserved a spanking. But when she reached Pa, he looked at her sorrowfully for a moment and then took her on his knee and cuddled her against him. He held out his other arm to Mary and said, I'm going to tell you a story about when Grandpa was a boy. story of grandpa's sled and the pig this is a fun one when your grandpa was a boy laura sunday did not begin on sunday morning as it does now it began at sundown on saturday night then everyone stopped every kind of work or play supper was solemn after supper grandpa's father read aloud a chapter of the bible 
while everyone sat straight and still in his chair. Then they all knelt down, and their father said a long prayer. When he said amen, they got up from their knees and each took a candle and went to bed. They must go straight to bed with no playing, laughing, or even talking. Sunday morning, they had a cold breakfast because nothing could be cooked on Sunday. Then they all dressed in their best clothes and walked to church. They walked because hitching up the horses was work and no work could be done on Sunday. They must walk slowly and solemnly, looking straight ahead. They must not joke or laugh or even smile. Grandpa and his two brothers walked ahead and their father and mother walked behind them. In church, Grandpa and his brothers must sit perfectly still for two long hours and listen to the sermon. They dare not lift a finger. Dare not, I'm sorry. They dare not fidget on the hard bench. They dare not swing their feet. They dare not turn their heads to look at the windows or the walls or the ceiling of the church. They must sit perfectly motionless and never for one instant take their eyes from the preacher. When church was over, they walked slowly home. They might talk on the way, but they may not, must not talk loudly, and they must never laugh or smile. At home, they ate a cold dinner, which had been cooked the day before. Then all the long afternoon, they must sit in a row on the bench and study their catechism, until at last the sun went down and Sunday was over. Now Grandpa's home was about halfway down the steep side of a hill. The road went from the top of the hill to the bottom, right past the front door. And in winter, it was the best place for sliding downhill that you can possibly imagine. One week, Grandpa and his two brothers, James and George, were making a new sled. They worked at it every minute of their playtime. It was the best sled they had ever made, and it was so long that all three of them could sit on it, one behind the other. They planned to finish it in time to slide downhill Saturday afternoon. For every Saturday afternoon, they had two or three hours to play. But that week, their father was cutting down trees in the big woods. He was working hard, and he kept the boys busy working with him. They did all the morning chores by lantern light, and they were hard at work in the woods when the sun came up. They worked till dark, and then there were the chores to do. And after supper, they had to go to bed so they could get up early in the morning. They had no time to work on the sled until Saturday afternoon. Then they worked at it just as fast as they could, but they didn't get it finished till just as the sun went down Saturday night. After the sun went down, they could not slide downhill, not even once. They would be breaking the Sabbath. So they put the sled in the shed behind the house to wait until Sunday was over. All the two long hours in church the next day, while they kept their feet still and their eyes on the preacher, they were thinking about the sled. At home, while they ate their dinner, they couldn't think of anything else. After dinner, their father sat down to read the Bible, and Grandpa and James and George sat as still as mice on their bench with their catechism, but they were thinking about the sled. The sun shone brightly, and the snow was smooth and glittering on the road, and they could see it through the window. It was a perfect day for sliding downhill. They looked at their catechism, and they thought about the new sled, and it seemed that Sunday would never end. After a long time, they heard a snore. They looked at their father, and they saw that his head had fallen against the back of his chair, and he was fast asleep. Then James looked at George, and James got up from the bench and tiptoed out of the room. Through the back door, George looked at Grandpa, and George tiptoed after James. And Grandpa looked fearfully at their father, but on tiptoe, he followed George and left their father snoring. 
They took their new sled and went quietly to the top of the hill. They meant to slide down just once. Then they would put the sled away and slip back to their bench and the catechism before their father woke up. James sat in front on the sled, then George, and then Grandpa, because he was the littlest. The sled started at first slowly, then faster and faster. It was running, flying down the long, steep hill, but the boys dared not shout. They must slide silently past the house without waking their father. There was no sound except the little whir of the runners on the snow and the wind rushing past. And just as the sled was swooping toward the house, a big black pig stepped out of the woods. He walked into the middle of the road and stood there. The sled was going so fast, it couldn't be stopped. There wasn't time to turn it. The sled went right under the hog and picked him up. With a squeal, he sat down on James and he kept on squealing long and loud and shrill. Squee! Squee! They flashed by the house, the pig sitting in front, then James, then George, then Grandpa, and they saw their father standing in the doorway looking at them. They couldn't stop. They couldn't hide. There was no time to say anything. Down the hill they went, the hog sitting on James and squealing all the way. At the bottom of the hill they stopped. The hog jumped off James and ran away into the woods still still squealing. The boys walked slowly and solemnly up the hill. They put the sled away. They sneaked into the house and slipped quietly to their places on the bench. Their father was reading his Bible. Then he went on reading and they studied their catechism. But when the sun went down and the Sabbath day was over, their father took them out to the woodshed and tanned their jackets. First James, then George, then Grandpa. So you see, Laura and Mary, Pa said, you may find it hard to be good, but you should be glad that it isn't as hard to be good now as it was when Grandpa was a boy. Did the little girls have to be as good as that? Laura asked, and Ma said, it was harder for little girls because they had to behave like little ladies all the time. Not only on Sundays, little girls could never slide downhill like boys. Little girls had to sit in the house and stitch on samplers. Now run along and let Ma put you to bed, said Pa, and he took his fiddle out of its box. Laura and Mary lay in their trundle bed and listened to the Sunday hymns, for even the fiddle must not sing the weekday songs on Sundays. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, Pa sang with the fiddle. Then he sang, Shall I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Laura began to float away on the music, and then she heard a clattering noise, and there was Ma by the stove getting breakfast. It was Monday morning, and Sunday would not come again for a whole week. That morning, when Pa came in to breakfast, he caught Laura and said he must give her a spanking. First, he explained that today was her birthday and that she would not grow properly next year unless she had a spanking. And then he spanked her so gently and carefully that it did not hurt a bit. One, two, three, four, five, six, he counted and spanked slowly. One spank for each year and at the last, one big spank to grow on. Then Pa gave her a little wooden man he had whittled out of a stick to be company for Charlotte. Ma gave her five little cakes, one for each year that Laura had lived with her and Pa and Mary gave her a new dress for Charlotte. Mary had made the dress herself, and when Laura thought she was sewing on her patchwork quilt. And that night, for a special birthday treat, Pa played Pop Go the Weasel for her. He sat with Laura and Mary close against his knees while he played. Now watch, he said. Watch, and maybe you can see the weasel pop out this time. Then he sang, a penny for a spool of thread, another for a needle. That's the way the money goes. Laura and Mary bent close watching, for they knew it was the time. Pop! said the finger, said Pa's finger on the string. Goes the weasel, sang the fiddle, plain as plain. 
But Laura and Mary hadn't seen Pa's finger make the string pop. Oh, please, please do it again, they begged him. But Pa's blue eyes laughed and the fiddle went on, on and he sang. All around the cobbler's bench, the monkey chased the weasel. The preacher kissed the cobbler's wife. Pop goes the weasel. They hadn't seen Pa's finger that time either. He was so quick they could never catch him. So they went laughing to bed and lay listening to Pa and the fiddle singing. There was an old darky, his name was Uncle Ned, and he died long ago, long ago. There was no wool on the top of his head in the place where the wool ought to grow. His fingers were as long as the cane in the brake. His eyes they could hardly see, and he had no teeth for to eat the hoe cake. So he had to let the hoe cake be. So hang up the shovel and the hoe, lay down the fiddle and the bow. There's no more work for old Uncle Ned, for he's gone where the good darkies go. End of chapter 5. Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Chapter 6. Two Big Bears. Then, one day, Pa said that spring was coming. In the big woods, the snow was beginning to thaw. Bits of it dropped from the branches of the trees and made little holes in the softening snowbanks below. At noon, all the big icicles along the eaves of the little house quivered and sparkled in the sunshine and drops of water hung trembling at their tips. Pa said he must go to town to trade the furs of the wild animals he'd been trapping all winter. So one evening, he made a big bundle of them. There were so many furs that when they were packed tightly and tied together, they made a bundle almost as big as Pa. Very early one morning, Pa strapped the bundles of furs on his shoulders, the bundle of furs on his shoulders, and started to walk to town. There were so many furs to carry that he could not take his gun. Ma was worried, but Pa said that by starting before sunup and walking very fast all day, he could get home again before dark. The nearest town was far away. Laura and Mary had never seen a town. They had never seen a store. They had never seen even two houses standing together. But they knew that in, their, in a town there were many houses and a store full of candy and calico and other wonderful things, powder and shot, and salt and store sugar. They knew that Pa would trade his furs to the storekeeper for beautiful things from town, and all day they were expecting the presents he would bring them. When the sun sank low above the treetops and no more drops fell from the tips of the icicles, they began to watch eagerly for Pa. The sun sank out of sight, the woods grew dark, and he did not come. Ma started supper and set the table, but he did not come. It was time to do the chores, and still he had not come. Ma said that Laura might come with her while she milked the cow. Laura could carry the lantern. So Laura put on her coat and Ma buttoned it up. And Laura put her hands into her red mittens that hung by a red yarn string around her neck while Ma lighted the candle and the lantern. Laura was proud to be helping Ma with the milking. She carried the lantern very carefully. Its sides were of tin with places cut in them for the candlelight to shine through. When Laura walked behind Ma on the path to the barn, the little bits of candlelight from the lantern leaped all around her on the snow. The night was not quite, not yet quite dark. The woods were dark, but there was a gray light on the snowy path, and in the sky there were a few faint stars. The stars did not look as warm and bright as the little lights that came from the lantern. Laura was surprised to see the dark shape of Suki, the brown cow standing at the barnyard gate. Ma was surprised too. It was too early in the spring for Suki to be let out in the big woods to eat grass. She lived in the barn. 
but sometimes on warm days, Paul left the door of her stall open so she could come into the barnyard. Now Ma and Laura saw her behind the bars waiting for them. Ma went up to the gate and pushed it, pushed against it to open it, but it did not open very far because there was Suki standing against it. Ma said, Suki, get over. She reached across the gate and slapped Suki's shoulder. Just then, one of the dancing little bits of light from the lantern jumped between the bars of the gate, and Laura saw long, shaggy, black fur and two little glittering eyes. Suki had thin, short, brown fur. Suki had large, gentle eyes. Do you know what it is, huh? Ma said, Laura, walk back to the house. So Laura turned around and began to walk toward the house. Ma came behind her. When they had gone part way, Ma... So Laura turned around and began to walk toward the house. Ma came behind her. When they had gone part way, Ma snatched her up, lantern and all, and ran. Ma ran with her into the house and slammed the door. Then Laura said, Ma, was it a bear? Yes, Laura, Ma said, it was a bear. Laura began to cry. She hung on to Ma and sobbed, Oh, will he eat Suki? No, Ma said, hugging her safe. Suki is safe in the barn. Thank Laura, all those big, heavy logs in the barn walls. And the door is heavy and solid, made to keep the bears out. No, the bear cannot get in and eat Suki. Laura felt better then, but he could have hurt us, couldn't he? he she asked. He didn't hurt us, Ma said. You were a good girl, Laura, to do exactly as I told you, and do it quickly without asking why. Ma was trembling, and she began to laugh a little. To think, she said, I've slapped a bear. Then she put supper on the table for Laura and Mary. Pa had not come yet. He didn't come. Laura and Mary were undressed, and they said their prayers and snuggled into the trundle bed. Ma sat by the lamp, mending one of Pa's shirts. The house seemed cold and still and strange without Pa. Laura listened to the wind in the big woods. All around the house, the wind went crying as though it were lost in the dark and the cold. The wind sounded frightened. Ma finished mending the shirt. Laura saw her fold it slowly and carefully. She smoothed it with her hand. Then she did a thing she had never done before. She went to the door and pulled the leather latch string through its hole in the door so that nobody could get in from the outside unless she lifted the latch. She came and took Carrie, all limp and sleeping, out of the big bed. She said she saw that Laura and Mary were still awake, and she said to them, Go to sleep, girls. Everything is all right. Pa will be here in the morning. Then she went back to her rocking chair and sat there rocking gently and holding baby Carrie in her arms. She was sitting up late waiting for Pa, and Laura and Mary meant to stay awake too till he came, but at last they went to sleep. In the morning, Pa was there. He had brought candy for Laura and Mary and two pieces of pretty calico to make them each a dress. Mary's was a china blue pattern on a white ground, and Laura's was dark red with little golden brown dots on it. Mary had, Ma had calico for a dress too. It was brown with big feathery white pattern all over it. They were all happy because Pa had got such good prices for his furs he could afford to get them such beautiful presents. The tracks of the big bear were all around the barn, and there were marks of his claws on the walls, but Suki and the horses were safe inside. All that day the sun shone, the snow melted, and little streams of water ran from the icicles, which all the time grew thinner. Before the sun set that night, the bear tracks were only shapeless marks in the wet, soft snow. After supper, Pa took Laura and Mary on his knees, and he said he had a new story to tell them.
The story of Paw and the Bear in the Way. When I went to town yesterday with the furs, I found it hard walking in the soft snow. It took me a long time to get to town, and other men with furs had come in earlier to do their trading. The storekeeper was busy, and I had to wait until he could look at my furs. Then we had to bargain about the price of each one, and then I had to pick out the things I wanted to take in trade. So, it was nearly sundown before I could start home. I tried to hurry, but the walking was hard and I was tired. So I had not gone far before night came, and I was alone in the big woods without my gun. There were still six miles to walk, and I came along as fast as I could. The night grew darker and darker, and I wished for my gun because I knew that some of the bears had come out of their winter dens. I had seen their tracks when I went to town in the morning. Bears are hungry and cross at this time of year, and you know they have been sleeping in their dens all winter long with nothing to eat, and that makes them thin and angry when they wake up. I did not want to meet one. I hurried along as quick as I could in the dark. By and by, the stars gave a little light. It was still black as pitch where the woods were thick, but in the open places I could see dimly. I could see the snowy road ahead a little way, and I could see the dark woods standing all around me, I was glad when I came into an open place where the stars gave me this faint light. All the time I was watching, as well as I could, for bears. I was listening for the sounds they make when they go carelessly through the bushes. Then I came again into an open place, and there, right in the middle of my road, I saw a big black bear. He was standing up on his hind legs, looking at me. I could see his eyes shine. I could see his pig snout. I could even see one of his claws in the starlight. My scalp prickled and my hair stood straight up. I stopped in my tracks and stood still. The bear did not move. There he stood, looking at me. I knew it would do no good to try to go around him. He would follow me into the dark woods where he could see better than I could. I did not want to fight a winter-starved bear in the dark. Oh, how I wished for my gun. I had to pass that bear to get home. I thought that if I could scare him, he might get out of the road and let me go by. So I took a deep breath, and suddenly I shouted with all my might and ran at him, waving my arms. He didn't move. I didn't. I did not run very far toward him, I tell you. I stopped and looked at him, and he stood looking at me, and then I shouted. Again, there he stood. I kept on shouting and waving my arms, but he did not budge. Well, it would do me no good to run away. There were other bears in the woods. I might meet one any time. I might as well deal with this one as with another. Besides, I was coming home tomorrow and you girls. I would never get here if I ran away from everything in the woods that scared me. So at last, I looked around and I got a, got a big club, a solid heavy branch that had been broken from a tree by the way of the snow in the winter. I lifted it up in my hands and I ran straight at that bear. I swung my club as hard as I could and brought it down, bang, on his head. And there he still stood, for he was nothing but a big black burned stump. I had passed it on my way to town that morning. It wasn't a bear at all. I only thought it was a bear because I'd been thinking all the time about bears and being afraid I'd meet one. It really wasn't a bear at all, Mary asked. No, Mary, it wasn't a bear at all. There I had been yelling and dancing and waving my arms all by myself in the big woods trying to scare a stump. Laura said, ours was really a bear, but we were not scared because we thought it was Suki. Pa did not say anything, but he hugged her tighter. Ooh, that bear might have eaten Ma and me all up, Laura said, snuggling closer to him. But Ma walked right up to him and slapped him, and he didn't do anything at all. Why didn't he do anything? 
I guess he was too surprised to do anything, Laura, Pa said. I guess he was afraid when he, when the lantern shone in his eyes, and when Ma walked up to him and slapped him, he knew she wasn't afraid. Well, you were brave too, Laura said, even if it only was a stump, and you thought it was a bear. You'd have hit him on the head with a club if he had been a bear, wouldn't you, Pa? Yes, said Pa. I would. You see, I had to. Then Ma said it was bedtime. She helped Laura and Mary undress and button up their red flannel nightgowns. They knelt down by the trundle bed and said their prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Ma kissed them both and tucked their covers in around them. They lay there a while, looking at Ma's smooth, parted hair and her hands busy with sewing in the lamplight. Her needle made little clicking sounds against her thimble, and then the thread went softly, swish, through the pretty calico that Pa, that pa had traded furs for. Laura looked at Pa, who was greasing his boots. His mustaches and his hair and his long brown beard were silky in the lamplight, and the colors of his plaid jacket were gay. He whistled cheerfully while he worked, and then he sang. The birds were singing in the morning, and the myrtle and the ivy were in bloom, and the sun o'er the hills was a-dawning. T'was then that I laid her in her tomb. It was a warm night. The fire had gone to coals on the hearth, and Pa did not build it up. All around the little house in the big woods, there were little sounds of falling snow, and from the eaves there was a drip, drip, of the melting icicles. In just a little while, the trees would be putting out their baby leaves, all rosy and yellow and pale green, and there would be wildflowers and birds in the woods. Then there would be no more stories by the fire at night, but all day long, Laura and Mary would run and play among the trees, for it would be spring. Chapter 7 of Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Chapter 7 The Sugar Snow. For days the sun shone and the weather was warm. There was no frost on the windows in the mornings. All day the icicles fell one by one from the eaves with soft smashing and crackling sounds in the snowbanks beneath. The trees shook their wet black branches and chunks of snow fell down. When Mary and Laura pressed their noses against the cold window pane, they could see the drip of water from the eaves and the bare branches of trees. The snow did not glitter. It looked soft and tired. Under the trees, it was pitted where the chunks of snow had fallen and the banks beside the path were shrinking and settling. Then one day, Laura saw a patch of bare ground in the yard. All day it grew bigger, and before night, the whole yard was bare mud. Only the icy path was left and the snowbanks along the path and the fence beside the woodpile. Can't I go out to play, Ma? Laura, and Mary, Laura asked, and Ma said, May, Laura. May I go out to play, she asked. You may tomorrow, Mom promised. That night, Laura woke up shivering. The bed covers felt thin and her nose was icy cold. Ma was tucking another quilt over her. Snuggle close to Mary, Ma said, and you'll get warm. In the morning, the house was warm from the stove, but when Laura looked out the window, she saw that the ground was covered with soft, thick snow. All along the branches of the trees, the snow was piled like feathers, and it lay in mounds along the top of the rail fence and stood up in great white balls on top of the gateposts. Pa came in, shaking the soft snow from his shoulders and stamping it from his boots. It's a sugar snow, he said. Laura put her tongue quickly to the little bit of white snow that lay in the fold of his sleeve was nothing but wet on her tongue like any snow she was glad that nobody had seen her taste it why is it sugar snow pa she asked him but 
He said he didn't have time to explain now. He must hurry away. He was going to Grandpa's. Grandpa lived far away in the big woods, where the trees were closer together and larger. Laura stood at the window and watched Pa, big and swift and strong, walking over the snow. He hung, his gun was on his shoulder, his hatchet and powder horn hung at his side, and his tall boots made great tracks in the soft snow. Laura watched him till he was out of sight in the woods. It was late before he came home that night. Ma had already lighted the lamp when he came in. Under one arm, he carried a large package, and in the other hand was a big covered wooden bucket. Here, Caroline, he said, handing the package and the bucket to Ma, and then he put the gun on its hooks over the door. If I'd met a bear, he said, I couldn't have shot him without dropping my load. Then he laughed, and if I'd dropped that bucket and bundle, I wouldn't have had to shoot him. I could have stood and watched him eat what's in them and lick his chops. Ma unwrapped the package, and there were two hard brown cakes, each as large as a milk pan. She uncovered the bucket, and it was full of dark brown syrup. Here, Laura and Mary, Pa said, and he gave them each a little round package out of his pocket. They took off the paper wrappings, and each had a little hard brown cake with beautifully crinkled edges. Bite it, said Pa, and his blue eyes twinkled. Each bit off one little crinkle, and it was sweet. It crumbled in their mouths. It was better even than their Christmas candy. Maple sugar, said Pa. Supper was ready, and Laura and Mary laid the little maple sugar cakes beside their plates while they ate the maple syrup on their bread. After supper, Pa took them on his knees as he sat before the fire, and he told them about his day at Grandpa's and the sugar snow. All winter, Pa said, Grandpa has been making wooden buckets and little troughs. He made them of cedar and white ash, but those woods won't give a bad taste to the maple syrup. To make the troughs, he split out little sticks as long as my hand and as big as my two fingers. Near one end, Grandpa cut the stick half through and split one half off. This left him a flat stick with a square piece at one end. Then, with a bit, he bored a hole lengthwise through the square part, and with his knife he whittled the wood till it was only a thin shell around the round hole. The flat part of the stick he hollowed out with his knife till it was a little trough. He made dozens of them, and he made ten new wooden buckets. He had them all ready when the first warm weather came and the sap began to move in the trees. Then he went into the maple woods, and with the bit he bored a little hole in each maple tree, and he hammered the round end of the little trough into the hole, and he set a cedar bucket on the ground under the flat end. The sap, you know, is the blood of a tree. It comes up from the roots when the warm weather begins in the spring and goes to the very tip of each branch and twig to make the leaves, green leaves, grow. Well, when the maple sap came to the hole in the tree, it ran out of the tree, down the little trough and into the bucket. Oh, didn't it hurt the poor tree? Laura asked. No more than it hurts you when you prick your finger and it bleeds, said Pa. Every day, Grandpa put on his boots and his warm coat and his fur cap puts on his boots and his warm coat and his fur cap and he goes out into the snowy woods and gathers the sap. With a barrel on a sled, he drives from tree to tree and empties the sap from the buckets into the barrel. Then he hauls it to the big iron kettle that hangs by a chain from a cross timber between two trees. He empties the sap into the iron kettle. There is a big bonfire under the kettle and the sap boils and Grandpa watches it carefully. The fire must be hot enough to keep the sap boiling but not hot enough to make it boil over. Every few minutes, the sap must be skimmed. Grandpa skims it with a big, long-handled wooden ladle that he made of basswood. I think that's how you say that. It's spelled B-A-S-S, wood, but Mimi's not sure. When the sap 
it gets too hot, Grandpa lifts ladlefuls of it high in the air and pushes it back slowly. This cools the sap a little and keeps it from boiling too fast. When the sap has boiled down just enough, he fills the buckets with the syrup. After that, he boils the sap until it grains when he cools it in a saucer. The instant the sap is graining, Grandpa jumps to the fire and breaks it all out from beneath the kettle. Then as fast as he can, he ladles the thick syrup into the milk pans that are standing ready. In the pans, the syrup turns to the cakes of hard brown maple sugar. So that's why it's a sugar snow, because Grandpa's making sugar? Laura asked. No, Pa said. It's called a sugar snow because a snow this time of year means that men can make more sugar. You see, this little cold spell and the snow will hold back the leafing of the trees that makes a, l a longer run of sap. When there's a long run of sap, it means that Grandpa can make enough maple sugar to last all year for common every day. When he takes his furs to town, he will not need to trade for much store sugar. He will get only a little store sugar to have on the table when company comes. Grandpa must be glad there's a sugar snow, Laura said. Yes, Pa said. He's very glad. He's going to sugar off again next Monday, and he says we must all come. Pa's blue eyes twinkled. He had been saving the best for last, and he said to Ma, Hey, Caroline, there'll be a dance. Ma smiled. She looked very happy, and she laid down her mending for a minute. Oh, Charles, she said. Then she went on with her mending, but she kept on smiling. She said, I'll wear my Delaine. Ma's Delaine dress was beautiful. It was a dark green with a little pattern all over it that looked like ripe strawberries. A dressmaker had made it in the east, in the place where Ma came from before when she married Pa and moved out west to the big woods in Wisconsin. Ma had been very fashionable before she married Pa, and a dressmaker had made her clothes. The Delaine was kept wrapped in paper and laid away. Laura and Mary had never seen Ma wear it, but she had shown it to them once. She had let them touch the beautiful dark red buttons that buttoned the basque up the front, and she had shown them how neatly the whalebones were put in the seams inside with hundreds of little crisscross stitches. It showed how important a dance was. If Ma was going to wear the beautiful Delaine dress, Laura and Mary were excited. They bounced up and down on Pa's knees and asked questions about the dance until at last he said, Now you girls run along to bed. You'll know all about the dance when you see it. I'll have to put a new string on my fiddle. I have to put a new string on my fiddle. There were sticky fingers and sweet mouths to be washed. Then there were prayers to be said. By the time Laura and Mary were snug in their trundle bed, Pa and the fiddle were both singing while he kept time with his foot on the floor. I'm Captain Jinx of the Horse Marines, feed my horse on corn and beans, and I often go beyond my means from Captain Jinx of the Horse Marines. I'm a captain in the army. End of chapter 7. <laughs>